The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. We've been going through a book of the Bible in the Old Testament named Jonah. It's probably familiar to many of you, if not all of you. Um, and if you are new with us and you'd like some more information about our church, what's important to us, things like that, you can visit our, our visitor kiosk uh, after the service and let us know that you are here and uh, we'd be happy to contact you and uh, meet with you or uh, answer any questions you might have. And so let's turn together to the book of Jonah. We'll continue in chapter 1. And remember, this is a book where we are looking at the character of God. It's a looking glass for us to see what is God like. And hopefully it'll also be for us a, a mirror to look into our hearts and say, Who am I really? And how do I interact with who God is? So let's read um, verse 4, starting in verse 4, chapter 1. You've been waiting for this moment. This is when the fish comes. Well, at the end of it anyway. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done what has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow. Do we have any IndyCar fans here? Good. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's a, if you are an IndyCar fan or a, a race car fan, you may be familiar with this legend. His name is Bill Vukovic in the 1950s, and he was probably, arguably, the best IndyCar racer that there ever has been. And in 1955, he was en route to win his third straight Indy 500 race. 
towards the end of the race, that race would not end in a win, but rather a tragedy that would end in his, him losing his life. And later on, after investigating the crash, they would find out that what caused the crash was this little pin in the steering column that cost 10 cents to fix. Bill Vukovic was the best. He was the best car racer that there was, maybe ever will be. He was amazing, and yet he was not sovereign. He had power, and yet he was not all-powerful. He was a professional, and ultimately he was not in ultimate control of his life. This one little pin took his life from him. In this portion of scripture we read, we see something about God's sovereignty. We see something about God's power and authority to do whatever he wants to do. We see that in several times in this passage alone where he, he sends a wind and then he sends a greater storm and then he sends a fish and it seems that God is orchestrating all of this to happen. You know, after a week like this past week, honestly, I am feeling emotionally exhausted. I mean, the, 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 the grief and tragedy in Boston the continuing unrest in North Korea, and the things going on just alone in our very homes, the sadness in, in broken relationships, the pain that we feel just with trying to get through our jobs and to, to take care of our family and to live the way that is honorable. So many things, and we're left just exhausted. And we're left with this question, why does God allow this to happen? I'm sure you've probably asked that question this week and maybe many weeks. What is going on here? What do we make of this? I thought it would be appropriate to come together to God's Word, and I thought, you know, maybe we should take a break from the Jonah series and talk about this and find comfort and seek God's Word so that we could find joy and peace in Him. And I thought, there's no need to change God has allowed us to read His Word, and we continue in our series, and here's where we find comfort. For this very week. Now, if God is sovereign, it means that He doesn't have to worry about a 10 cent pin ever ruining His plan. He never has to worry about some little thing going wrong that could throw out, throw in chaos all that He has planned for you, for me, for the people we love. The story of Jonah helps us see God's boundless sovereignty. You know, some passages in scriptures will use poetic sentence structure and use creative play on words to communicate something to us, but this passage is not one of those passages. This passage is so straightforward and to the point. It is so plain and it is so clear for us to see what is going on here. A couple things. If, there, if there's a word that I could use to describe this scene as we read through this, it would be the word chaos. Chaos. Everything is chaotic. Imagine these sailors, this storm is coming upon them, and they're panicking. And even in the midst of this chaos, we see something about God that is crystal clear that we don't have permission to deny that He is in control. God hurled a great wind. God sent a great fish. 
the response to the characters in this scene, I think the, the main characters, the sailors and Jonah, will give for us a great portrait or a great idea of how should we respond to God's sovereignty in appropriate ways and inappropriate ways. And it teaches us what does it mean to rely on God's sovereignty, to understand it, to believe it, to rest in it. And so I want to start with the sailors first. It is through their response that we see that God's sovereignty creates a healthy fear. Immediately we see their response right when the storm rages. They panic. Each of them goes to their God, their idol. They pray fervently. I re- I'd imagine them praying a prayer that maybe you have pre- prayed before. God, if you get me out of this, I swear, I will follow you forever. I will never do anything wrong again. I will pay more attention to you. If you get me out of this, it was that kind of panic. They react by throwing their cargo off the ship. The things that are valuable to them, the things that they've paid for, the things that they need to finish their their mission on the sea. They run to Jonah and they say, what have you done? Imagine this scene unfolding, just the chaos. Just the worst. The worst day of their life. They are afraid. And these men, I want you to understand, are not, they're not soft men. These are seasoned sailors. And if they are afraid of the sea, then you know it's pretty bad. Because there's no doubt they have encountered bad storms they have been in in hard circumstances they have been challenged by different chaotic moments but here they've never seen anything like this before if you've ever spent much time on the water you know how powerful the water is don't you been on a cruise ship or have you been uh, tubing or water skiing and there's this sense of power that the water has and you say to yourself wow this is pretty strong this is pretty powerful. It creates a sense of, of fear. But there's a fear of the waves. There's a fear of the storm. But then there's another fear that we see in the sailors. There's a fear of God. And those are two different kinds of fears. The fear of the waves terrorize them. They are afraid. And this is when they feel anxious and afraid. And, it might happen, and what might happen to the people that we love. Have you felt that way before? This Something gets into your mind and into your heart that you can't ignore, and you find yourself just anxious and afraid, and you say, what am I going to do about this? What would I do if, if this person was taken from me? What would I do if, if my life would be drastically changed? What would I do if I lost my job? What would I do if, I, if something happened that I was not prepared for? These feelings of, of anxiety and chaos and fear. That's what that feels like. They've probably never experienced a greater power than the ocean. And now they realize there is a greater power and there's a greater reason to be afraid. And it's because they encounter the sovereignty of God. But the fear of the Lord is not a terrorizing fear like the fear of the ocean or a fear of fire or a fear of heights. The fear of the Lord is a comforting fear. To trust in God's sovereignty is is to believe this. God is never in a position of weakness. And he uses his strength not to punish us, not to hurt us, but to pursue us, to love us, to save us. And so when his power comes to us, it is not to destroy us. 
but to restore us. So the sailors' terrorizing fear that they should have, the terrorizing fear of the ocean, is replaced by a healthy fear, a kind of awe-induced fear, a kind of reverent and holy fear, a fear that believes in God's sovereignty and comes to the realization that we are constantly at the mercy of God. This epiphany that they have in seeing everything unfold and God calming the terrorizing ocean, they realize for the first time we are not in control. And everything in our life depends on God. And they were afraid. The sailors learned to praise God even after when they, they learn of the sovereignty of God and, and after the, the, the storm is calmed and after their prayers have been heard. And so they learn to, to fear God after the blessing has come. And because of God's sovereignty, if we learn of this and, and figure out what does it mean that God is sovereign and that he is never in a position of weakness, we, unlike the, uh, the, unlike the sailors, can learn to find comfort and peace in God before our prayers are answered not only after. Because we believe that God is never in a position of weakness, that nothing is ever out of his control, we can go into difficult situations and pray for things and learn to trust in him before the outcome is known to us. If we believe that God is detached and uninterested or unable to govern all of creation, then we will have great difficulty in acknowledging his goodness in the midst of chaos. If creation and storms and circumstances in our life can destroy God's plans, then there is no cause for us to be absolutely in a position of trusting God. Because it's that one ten-cent pin, it's that one thing that could be, that, that one wayward molecule in all of creation that is wayward from God's sovereignty, that can do whatever it wants and can destroy God's plans. But God says, I am the sovereign Lord. I have ultimate power, ultimate authority, ultimate ability to save, to love, to pursue you. If that's the truth, then he can be praised in the storm. He can be praised before we have the answers to our prayers. We see in verse 14 that they discover, the sailors discover the truth, this mysterious truth about what God is like. That God will always do things in ways that please Him. Even things that seem evil. That is very difficult to understand. I don't fully understand it, but here's what they say. And they use this word several times. They say, this evil has come upon us. This evil, this word that they use, is the same word that God uses before He destroys all of living things with the flood. He says, this, the people have become evil. The people have become wicked. And the sailors look at this chaos in their life and they say, this is evil. This is wicked. Another way to describe that word is hurtful. Why would God hurt us? Why would God allow this pain to come upon us? And then they realize something about God. In verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O oh Lord, you have done what has pleased you. They see that even in this, even in these circumstances that they don't fully understand, God is doing something that is pleasing to him. 
God's emotions will never get the best of him the way that it gets the best of us. You see, when our emotions get the best of us, we, we react to circumstances. We act in such a way that we regret, and we come back and saying, that was an overreaction. I wish I didn't do that. God will never make a miscalculation. God will never compromise his perfect character. God will never do anything that goes against his perfect goodness. And the sailors realize that, and they say, surely you are doing this because you are good. Because it pleases you. The sailors were afraid of the sea, but they learned to fear the Lord of Jonah because he alone is sovereign. And then we look at Jonah, and it is from him that we see something very different. That God's sovereignty creates a healthy rest. All this chaos is going on, and what is Jonah doing? Sleeping. Now, Jonah is sleeping. Jonah is resting, but he's not doing the right kind of resting. He's not doing the right kind of sleeping. There is an unhealthy kind of resting. There's a kind of resting that never creates peace, only distraction. And this is the kind of resting that I find myself in all the time when I'm exhausted. And I need a nap, and I need to rest, and I turn on the TV. Do you ever feel better after you do that? Maybe you do. Maybe that's the way you rest, but that does not work for me. And I'm exhausted, and I lay on the couch. And I finally have a little block of time to find rest, and I turn on the TV. And I'm not resting. I'm distracted. I'm not at peace. I'm agitated. But I'm laying down, and I'm not doing anything. And yet my soul is still weary. I haven't had a healthy rest. Rest. I'm not refreshed. If anything, I find myself more exhausted more in need of peace. And this wrong kind of rest that Jonah finds himself in, this wrong kind of rest always leads downward. As we walk through this book of Jonah, we see this word reoccur often, that Jonah goes down to Joppa to catch the boat, that Jonah goes down into the boat, that Jonah lays down to sleep. You see, when we are pursuing unhealthy rest, when we are not trusting and resting in the sovereignty of God, it will always lead downward. This manifests itself in daily life and for you and I when, when we just go through the motions. You know, an unhealthy rest is when we just kind of take one day at a time and just go through the motions. We're not engaged. We're just, we turn our mind off and say, let's just, just keep on keeping on and just keep going. When we go through the motions of the Christian faith, we we rarely experience this internal shalom, this internal peace, this internal rest that we were designed for. When we go through the motions, we become like that frog that is placed into a pot of cold water, and it's placed on the stove, and the heat is turned on. And the frog being there doesn't understand the gradual increase of the temperature of the water. His environment is slowly changing, but it eventually leads to his boiling and his death. When we actively rest in God, we are like that frog that is tossed into a pot of boiling water. That this chaos is brought in, but we find this rest in God, and we know right away that that we need to rest in God and trust in Him and pursue Him. But when we live through life in the Christian faith, just going through the motions... We don't know where we are. We don't know that the temperature has been turned up in our life. 
It catches us off guard. Internal peace is the result of actively resting in God's sovereignty. You know, a lack of peace, if you have a lack of peace in your life, it may be because of this. A lack of peace in one's life is a result of chronic neglect of resting in God's sovereignty. If you find yourself continually at unrest, continually unable to find peace and comfort in your life, it may be because there's this chronic, chronic season and pattern of you not trusting in God. So you're always going about, you're always agitated, you're always trying to grab onto something. When God hurls something you, your way, you hurl something back, like the sailors. You make promises, you pray out, you're chaotic. So there is this passive resting. It's possible to believe in God's sovereignty and never find this healthy rest. But then there's this active resting. Active resting is preaching to yourself about who God is and who the Bible says he is and resting in that. We learn how to rest poorly through Jonah, but we learn how to rest well through the second Jonah, through Jesus Christ, our second Jonah, who says to us in Matthew chapter 11, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then He says, Come to me, all who labor and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We find here that God's sovereignty leads to a peaceful rest in God. Do you see what Jesus says? All things have been handed over to me. All authority, all power, all sovereignty is mine. And I will not use that to destroy you. I will use it so that you might find rest in me. He is saying, you need me to be sovereign. You need me to be in control. It is only then that you can find rest in me. It is only then that you can feel confident, that you can take your burdens, that you can take your fears and give them to me. One of my favorite pastors right now that I'm reading through and listening to a lot is a guy named Tullian Chavidjan. He's a pastor in one of our sister churches in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he says this, until we see God-sent storms as interventions and not punishments, we'll never get better. We'll only get bitter. Everything that Jesus said he came to do for us is what the storm came to do for Jonah. When difficult times come, it's an opportunity to find something out about God and about ourselves. If we really are willing to wait on him through that darkness, through that pain, through that fear, we will have a peace and a strength that we did not have before and would not have had we not gone through that darkness. The storm is not a punishment for Jonah. The storm is an intervention. The storm is brought on not by God's anger, but by God's affection. 
The storm is brought on by God's love for Jonah. Jonah thought that running from God would make him free. Running from God would give him freedom and liberty. But running from God made him truly lost, truly isolated, truly afraid. Let the sovereignty of God comfort you. Let the truth of God's word that says that God is in control bring comfort to your life. Do not be afraid of what can happen to you. Do not place your hope in chance or even in safety that man can provide. Don't place your comfort ultimately in our troops and in our government or in our health care or in your good habits. Don't place your ultimate trust in what you or anybody else can provide. But place your ultimate trust is that God is a good God. And that there is no single molecule in all of creation that can take him out of control. Take comfort in knowing that we will never come to God and say, why is this happening? And God reply with, I don't know. I wish I knew, but I don't know. Sometimes things just happen. He will never say that. He may not give you the answer right now, but he will never be indifferent. He will never be detached. He will never say, I didn't see this coming. I wish I knew what it could do to you. But I'm going to do something good about it. He will never say that. He will always say this. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. For more audio and information please visit holycrosstucson.com.